трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. I have to apologize now for the sound quality on the last one. We didn't have all the technical gizmos that I now have at my disposal. Anyway, I'm joined by the usual duo, that is Toka Thelade and Andrew Flint. How are you fellas? Hey, I'm good. And Andrew? Yeah, not bad. Good stuff. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, so we've got a couple of topics under discussion for today. First, we're going to look at Alienichev at Spartak Moscow. Then we're going to look at the other, well, another Moscow club in Dinamo Moscow. And then we're going to talk about why Russian clubs have failed in Europe. So the first one is Alienichev at Spartak. Now, he's a Spartak legend. Both, well, as a player, he's a fan as a young boy, and most fans who don't really know much about Russian football re- probably remember him as the player who scored in both of Porto's UEFA Cup and Champions League final victories, where, of course, he was managed by Jose, Jose Mourinho. Um, until his appointment at Spartak last summer, he was the manager of Arsenal Tula, who had a reputation of playing good football, but they, they did get relegated in the end. So we're going to look into whether this was a good appointment for Spartak or whether it was more sentimentality. They currently sit seventh in the table. So, Toka, I've, we've just discussed this. So, was Alienichev the raisin at the end of the sausage? You can explain to the listeners what that means. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if it was that, but at least let's explain the saying. It's, it's one of my favorite Danish sayings, and I feel that I have finally started to make it international by the, teaching you two about it. Basically, it means um, in Denmark, in the old times, you say you used a, a raisin in the end of a sausage when you made it, and then after you ate the sausage, you had a nice raisin. So it is the good thing that's coming at the end, but I'm not sure if that's Alenichev. He hasn't really impressed me this season, and... He seems a bit naive, ta- tactically speaking, and yeah, he, he still needs to convince me that he is, he is the right manager for Spartak, but when that's said, he, he did bring a lot of new belief in the project and, and, an, and a new spirit in the club, and even though the, the, the results haven't been that good this season, as you said, they're only seventh, but he still needs time. It, it, it is a long process, and we saw Fidun step back as um, as chairman, and we have seen a lot of changes in the squad. So it is it would also be unfair to expect him to qualify for Champions League or something like that this season. I I think he needs more time. Um, where do you come on this, Andrew? Well, at the time I thought um, Alenichev's appointment wasn't a bad one. Um, Murat Yakin just. Um, he was never popular from the word go. Um, and I think going back to a club legend, it, you could at least justify it by saying um, the fans would get behind him. Um, one thing I would pick out, though, um, like you said, Toka, his his tactical um, strategies don't always seem to be <clears throat> the most well well thought out, the most the best planned. I mean, you look at his def- you look at the defence. Um, and he switched between three men at the back, two men at the back. Um, Vladimir Granat has not had as much game time as you might have thought. Um, and going forward, he's got some of the best attacking players um, in the league. Uh, and he's been able to bring in 
Lorenzo Melgarejo um, Radistov Ignatiev um, so going forwards he doesn't have a problem Quincy Promise of course but I think his defensive nous, tactical nous, is perhaps not as well developed as it should be for a club Spartak size so um, it's easy to say with hindsight but I think we're starting to see the cracks in his ability to cope with the job of this size so overall I'd say in hindsight possibly not the best appointment would you say get rid of him in summer then, Andrew? Well, I'm not. I'm not one for jumping on the the bandwagon of okay, let's get rid of him. He's had a season. I personally would give him. I'd give him another season. Um, I know I criticise his defensive um, abilities there, but he has had some injuries to contend with. So I would give him a bit more time. Um, Spartak, realistically, I don't think would be ready to take on a full-blooded European campaign yet. Um, I don't think they will qualify for Europe this season. Um, uh, so another season where there's no distraction of Europe, there's no extra judgment on his performance, uh, I think might be a good thing. He might settle down and he's clearly still popular with at least some of the fans. So I'd give him another season. And Toka? Yeah, I agree. I think when you look at Spartak's squad, it's, it's really not that good. I had the conversa- I had a conversation about it with um, Vincent the other day, one of our a Spartak fan who also writes for the site. And I, when I look at the players, only Popov and and Promise are actually good enough for the for the top four clubs. I mean, I think they're the only players who could play for Senate or CSK. So I think when Spartak said they wanted to qualify for Europe this season, that was very ambitious and probably too much of a pressure to put on Alenikchev uh, because I don't think Spartak are much better than Krasnodar, Lokomotiv or any of the other clubs they compete with at the top. So I think that they, are, that they are seventh in the league at the moment, that's really what you would have expected from them and <coughs> not much worse, not much better. So yeah, I'm not surprised. And if we give Alenikchev one more season, I, I hope he can keep building up the squad and you see, you see small glimpses of things that are actually working, and I can't help wonder what would happen if, if they gave him more time, because Svartok have been known to, to jump the wagon a bit too fast and sack their coaches and then have to save the season mid-season and start all over again. And that's, that's basically the problem for them, that they always have to start over and bring in new players and rebuild the squad after the new coaches opinions. Yeah, I was just going to point the listeners in the direction of your article, Toker, on Spartak managers who have failed, but a lot of them have actually gone to be quite successful. Probably the highlight, well, I'm just going to read off a couple. Michael Laudrup did okay in Spain and then did a, did quite well at Swansea, although that did fall down at the end. Valerie Carpin, of course, had two stints. And then Unai Emery, who's now just a, a legend at Sevilla. I mean, that how many Europa League titles is that now, consecutively? probably looking for another one this year and sacked by Spartak not deemed good enough. So, Andrew, is the problem the structure rather than the manager? Well, I think it's there's certainly an element of that. Um, I mean, exactly how much influence um, Fjerdun has over the club still. Um, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure what his official capacity is now, but um, the decision-making seems to be very knee-jerk. Um, I mean, if you think since um, Alec Romantov 
was in charge. They've had, I don't know, was it about 15 different managers in the last 16 years, something, something like that. Um, and yeah, to be honest with you, I think it's the, I think it's the whole aura around the club that weighs down so heavily on each um, each manager who comes in. Um, I wouldn't say it's an identical comparison, but similar pressures that, um, for example, David Moyes at Manchester United felt. He was clearly a very good tactical manager, um, but just could not cope with the pressure. Um, although I don't think it's exactly the same problem here. Um, I think a lot of the the transfer market dealings, um, not being desperately well managed, um, the defence is a big problem and it hasn't been sorted out. Um, uh, letting Serdar Tashi um, leave on loan. I'm, I'm not saying he's the world beater, but what, why let him go? It's, it's not of any benefit to Spartak. So, um, Probably a financial decision, Andrew. Probably got quite a lot of money on the wages. Uh, yes, that could actually... Well, I mean, you see, that for me is... That's a problem, I think. If I, You're probably right. But if, if that's what's influencing their squad decisions, then... Um, Perhaps it's financial mismanagement then. Um, but I think behind the scenes, there's there's too much chopping and changing, not enough clear direction for me. I mean, Toko, Spartak won six consecutive titles up until 2001 and haven't won one since then. So that's nigh on 15 years. So what has happened in that time? I think a, pop, a, pop, a big problem at Spartak is that people always compare the current Spartak to the Spartak we saw in the 90s and the early zeros. Like I just did. Romantic, where they won everything and played in the Champions League and sent players to to the big European leagues. But I think people need to realize that Russian Russian football has changed since then. The league is much more competitive now. The the Spartak side that dominated in the the 90s was was basically the only club with money, the only club who who had decent talent work. And they could just... They could sign all the best players from Russia and develop them and sell them on, but that's not the reality anymore. You, you'll never see a Russian team dominate like that again, because now we have Stenet has money, CSK has money, Lokomotiv, Krasnodar, Rubin Kazan, they, they all have money and they can all bring in good players, which means that even though Stenet can buy players like Hulk and Witzel, we still see CSK win the, uh, the, the, the title and we see Senate lose to, to other teams because the league is simply much more even now. So I think that's a big part of the problem. Spartak expect that they can get back on, on being the by far biggest side in the, in the country, but that simply can't happen now. That's that's impossible for all the clubs. So you yeah, think... I, 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 go on. Sorry, sorry. No, go on, Andrew, go on. Well, no, I, I, was, I was just going to <clears throat> further that point by, by saying um, I think... I think this winter signings of Ignatiev and Malgarejo, I think they just they sort of spoke of wanting the big name attacking players without thinking what was a good balance for the side. They thought score more goals than everybody else, you know, almost romanticise it a bit was um, was the wrong way to try and get back on top. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think um, I think Toka's right. I think it's the comparison between now and an unrealistically different era is is not helping. Yeah, what I was going to say to you, Toka, was so back 2001 when they last won their title, you're saying that it's not their fault that they've fallen behind, it's just that others have got better. No, no, not of, of course not. 
it's um of course it, it, it's also Spartak's. It's it's just not it not it's not just that the other teams have surpassed them. Spartak have also um also a much worse managed side now as we have talked about Romancev, he, he really knew what he was doing and Spartak had a, a very clear pe- plan back then, but now under Stedun, it's it has been different. It has been new managers all the time, new players. Let's try to buy the success, try to get the, um, the quick way back to the success in the 90s. And after 10 years, we can just see that it hasn't worked. Spartak haven't been able to, to buy the way back to the top of the league. And I really think what the club needs now is to is some long-term thinking. They they have tried for many years to to get back to the top by buying, buying players, but they're not even the richest side anymore, so that will never happen. They need to find some way where they can be smarter and work more efficient than the other teams. I mean, Andrew, Tokus talked about spending the money there. You look at some of the managers I mentioned, there's just the three there. There's plenty more. If you look on the Russian Football News website, you'll look at Tokus' piece and you'll just see how many there are. Murat Yakin, of course, we mentioned is another one. So we've mentioned the buying of the players, but also they seem to have bought managers. Now, with Alenichev's uh, appointment, does that signal to you that they're looking a lot more long-term because he's not really the big-name manager he's more of a manager being having the Spartak blood in him he's more the manager that wants to look long term rather than just seeing it as a short employment opportunity yeah I, I think that's um, probably a fair point to make um, <clears throat> and I, I welcome it um, one thing I hope and like I say this depends entirely on Alenchev being given another season and I think he will be um, one thing I'd like to see is more emphasis placed on the youngsters coming through um, I I was particularly impressed about a year or two years ago with um, uh, Jano Ananidze, for example. I remember seeing him in a European tie. Um, and I thought, this guy, he's, he's young, he's quick. He's, he's the sort of player you want to mould and guide into the first team. Um, and he's had his injury problems this season. But I really hope players, for example, like him, uh, Denis Davidov, um, the Russian Messi, apparently, will... Um, so far, he's whether it's just circumstance or not, I want to see more emphasis placed on that. So hopefully, Elena just the man to do that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that seems to be what they've done here. So hopefully, he'll be given more time. Um, and if he is, then I predict it will things will improve if he is allowed to stay. I'm just going to mention there about Yano. He was great on Football Manager for me. I'm just going to put that out there. But <laughs> but Toka, um, I'm looking at the previous managers again. A lot of them sacked mid-second season. Would you go with the point that they're looking a bit longer term than that with Alinichev? I really hope so, but I, 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 I'm afraid it's not the case, really. When you look at some of the different comments from around the club, it seems that they will have to discuss whether or not Alenichev will stay after the season. And even if they decide to let him stay, I think that's a poor signal. I'd like to see someone like Rudinov or someone else with, in a position of power simply stay that, state that Alenichev is our, our coach and we stand behind him even now when the results isn't as good as we, as we hoped. But that, that hasn't been the case so far. And I think that's, that might be a mistake. Hello? Yeah, Andrew, you're still here. Don't worry. Hello? Hello, Andrew. Yes, you're still here. I think we've lost Andrew. Hello, guys. Hello. Yes, it seems so. Hello, Andrew. 
it's quite funny because uh, we can hear him, but he can't hear yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm just going to come back to you. Um, we'll just have to cope with that. Andrew's rambling in the background for a bit. So they've played 24 fixtures and they've won 11, drawn four and lost nine. Now, drawing four is actually the lowest amount of draws in the league. Now, I'm not saying drawing's a good thing, but do you think there's been a real lack of consistency this season? And that stems from Alain Ichev himself. Yeah, definitely. You can see them switch around tactically almost every game. One game, as Andrew said, they're playing with five in the back. The next, they're playing with... Um, a fallback line and always trying to move around. And as, as I said earlier, he seemed like he's a bit inconsistent, tactically speaking. And it seems that the players, they're not actually sure what he wants to do. And as an observer from the outside, it's the same. You're not sure how Spartak are playing. But if, if you ask how to describe Spartak's uh, tactical, tactical scheme, it's difficult because they haven't found it yet. And I think that's, that's problematic. Okay, so after a slight technical hitch-up, we've got Andrew back. I believe is you're still there, aren't you? Uh, just about, yes. Okay, perfect. So what did you want to say about Spartak? I mean, we've just talked about the inconsistency there. Is there any other comments you'd like to add about them? Just about the inconsistencies or any other point? Well, I mean, the thing about the, thing about the league as well, to be fair to them for a moment, is that it's so desperately tight at the top. Um and they are in seventh place. And like Toke said, I, I'm not entirely surprised if you'd asked me at the beginning of the season. But um, it's not like they're it's not like they're a long way off. They have a lot of the makings of a side that could challenge for Europe. Um, but uh, it's 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 all just goes back to whether he'll be given time for Elenichev for me. So I would like him to be given more time. And Toke, you you were going to talk about the youth players at Spartak. Yeah, I mean, Spartak have always been famous for their um, for their academy, and when when you look at the team in the '90s, which I earlier said we shouldn't compare them too much to, but they always had a, a healthy flow of of young players from the academy coming through the ranks and, and to the first team. But I think what what is annoying me at the moment is when I see the players from the academy who's on the first team today, when when Alinchev is giving them the chance, it's it's a guy like. Ilya Kutupov, who's who's 20, 22, and we have Sergei Bruskalov, who's who's twenty three, and uh, Alexander Sotov, who's twenty five. So the the young players who's playing at the moment, they're all not not in the middle of the twenties, but they are above the age what you'll call them a talent. And I think instead of having these guys in the starting of the twenties, where you kind of know that they will never be good enough to actually start for Spartak, if Spartak wants to be a top side. I'd like to see Spartak make room for some of the younger guys, like we saw um, last season when when uh, Jakin had these 18-year-old um, uh, Davidov coming through the ranks, for example. And I'd like to see some of the younger guys getting the chance, because I feel like these uh, guys, also Alexander Koslov, who's uh, 23, that they're just filling up the squad, taking a, a spot on the bench, that could have given to a player who actually had a chance of making the starting lineup at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go on, Andrew. <laughs> well, and no, I was just—I uh, was going to add on just a little bit. Um, I follow obviously the the lower leagues a little bit more because um, because of Feka Chumen and Spartak's um, second team are actually fifth in the table at the moment. Um, 
and they've they started the season a bit shaky, but they've um, they, they've turned into one of the most attacking sides. They, I mean, they have, in, in my view, one of the most exciting players in the Fenel, um, Georgi Melkadze. Um, so just to strengthen Toka's point, there is definitely talent there that could, or possibly should, be promoted, um, or at least developed in. Uh, you know, prepared so that they could be promoted. Um, so I think that should be something they should look into more. I agree um, with Toka. You say that the second string is one of the most attacking in their league. I'm just wondering whether that's a blueprint handed down from Alenichev, who they're now thinking will stick around for a while. So they want to sort of put his philosophy onto the entire club, including that second string. Would you go along with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know how much influence he's been given over the second team, but um, Sergei Bushmanov, I believe it is, in charge, um, who, there was an article on the Russian Football News website about him about a year ago, um, and he's clearly well-respected within the club, and it looks like his philosophy is the same. So if you've got a, a youth team coach who is coaching one style and the first team coach who comes in who doesn't have an idea about the club or a feel for the style that they're being played, um, it's going to cause uh, problems. Young players are not going to come through. Whereas with Elenichev and Bushmanov, it looks like they are relatively well aligned, so it would give a good chance for progression. And it, financially, it would help the club in the long term, You know, develop more players don't have to spend more on transfer fees. Um, so I hope it means they are looking to keep Elenichev. Just before we move on to Dinamo, I want to ask a bit of a, a horrible question, really. Uh, Toka, I'm thinking, how long is it going to take for Spartak to get back on track and will Alenichev still be there? That's a good question. I, I think that depends on what, what you mean by back on track because if, if the goal is for them to win the title, then... That could that could take five six six years, and for them to be patient with Alenicia for that long, that that's I think that's that's questionable looking at the past. But if we can slowly improve them every season, I I don't see why not. But it will it will require time, and they will need to to be patient and and also have to to go through some bad times and. That's the problem with Spartak looking at the past managers. As soon as they have hit the, um, a time where the results haven't been as expected, they've often been quick to hit the bottom and button and, and try a new manager. So, yeah, it, it will take a long time for Spartak to, to get back on top. And would you echo that there, Andrew? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly would in terms of um, title win. I don't see them winning the title for a long time, um, if I'm being honest. I just, I just can't see Zenit um, or Tiska being uh, dominated over the, the course of a season. Um, and that's before you include the possible resurgence or continued progress of uh, Krasnodar, um, for example, Rostov, obviously. Um, uh, back on track, I would suggest... Um, would mean challenging for the title, qualifying for Europe. And that, I'd say, in a couple of years' time, it could be. But will it be? I'm not so sure. Um, it, it depends on the continuity for me. Okay. I think if, 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 Spartak, if, if Spartak actually get that continuity, I, I could see them being a, a part of the top four and ch being up there, but... They, they will never dominate like like earlier, but they should be able to 
to be a top team because the potential is definitely there. They have the fans, the stadium, the youth players and everything. But one thing I thought about that that I think could help Alenchev and Spartak is I'd like to see him get um, an older, more experienced assistant coach. When Because as we've talked about, he, he is a very young coach and he only have experience from Arsenal before. And he seems a bit inconsistent. So if, if he has had an... Um, an experienced coach, not like a mentor, but someone who could who could guide him and someone who had experience from the from the top flight. I think that would that would help him and, and benefit him a lot if um, someone who could give him some advice and stand sort of what to do when you're in the <coughs> in the dark times and everything. Yeah, that's actually a sign of good management, really, to to be able to delegate like that. But. Before we move on to Dinamo, I have a, a, a confession to make that I said that Spartak had the lowest number of draws in the division. That's actually Rubin on three, so I do apologise for that. And I believe you have something to own up to as well, Andrew. Uh, yes, I made a slight slip there. Vladislav Ignatiev, of course, is locomotive. Um, but uh, my point about Mel Garejo, um, I think, still stands. So I'm going to hopefully hope that people will focus on that side of it. Okay, so you've got a slight positive there. I'll give you, I'll give you a D because you still did fail on the one thing. I'll give myself an F because that was that was shocking because the table's right in front of me. So we'll move on to Dinamo now. Now they've got had a right change because they had a lot of financial troubles, lots of players being let go. So they've now got a, a very youthful squad. Um, a deal with George Mendes was certainly interesting. So Toka, can you just explain to the listeners a short history of this tumultuous period? Yeah, of course. It's it's almost strange. It's, it has just been eight eight months, I believe now, eight or nine, but it feels like a couple of years. We have seen Dinamo going from being one of the top teams. They had Valbuena and Kokorin and a lot of top top players, both Russian and um, international. And then they were kicked out of Europe for the for breaching the financial fair play regulations of UEFA. So they went through, let's call it a fire sale. I think that is. That is all right. And sold most of the expensive foreign players, kept an entire squad, promoted a, longer, uh, promoted a, a bunch of young players, put them into the starting lineup. And now we have a team with only two foreigners, I believe, um, where we have some experienced Russian players like uh, Jakov and Pogletniak, Koslov and Yashenko. And then we have some interesting young players like uh, left-back Morozov, and the midfielders, uh, Sopnin and uh, Tashayev. So it is an interesting team, but the results haven't been really been that good. And of course, that's expected when you change around the entire squad shortly before, or actually soon, uh, soon after the season starts. So, yeah, it has been, let's say, interesting because there's certainly been a lot of things to follow. Yeah, they're currently sitting in 12th place. Andrew, would you say they're in serious danger of being in the relegation playoff? Well, I mean, uh, I'd say they are. Um, I, I don't believe they will go down um, because, very simply because I think the four teams below them are, are worse, um, worse prepared. But, um, I mean, they, they've, they've got to be careful. They've lost, what, four of the last five games, conceded four goals, um, two of the last three games. I mean, the, the statistics don't look good. Um, 
but I, I do think they, I do think they will pick up in the end. And I, I put it down personally to the younger players in their squad. Um, Pavel Pogrebniak's been little short of embarrassing, in my opinion. Um, uh, but I, I saw them at uh, against Ural in Yekaterinburg, and Tashayev on the wing really impressed me. Um, but it was a young young guy taking players on, but he had the you know, had the bravery to take players on, not be afraid to just sit back and be defensive and pick up the points. Um, and you mentioned uh, Morozov Toka. I, I was a big fan of his at fullback um, earlier in the season, although he's not played so much recently. Um, but I think it's these are the players who are who are going to give them a chance. Um, I don't believe they'll go down, um, and I and I hope they don't because I want to see this as an example of how. Financial fair play can actually work, can actually be a good thing. Um, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed for them. This is really a, a long-winded question for both of you now. Most listeners will know that I'm a Birmingham City fan. So in recent, ever since 2011, Birmingham have gone through a sort of similar transition where they've had a lot of financial problems. Now, I would say, there's a going back to our phrases, by the way, there's a phrase saying that you... Uh, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Now, actually, I believe you can, because in Birmingham's case, and I was going to get your perspective from a Dinamo point of view, of course, I think that with their financial troubles, it means that youth players have had to come in, and they've actually done quite well. It's really helped out the academy, and also I think the fans feel more connected now that there's not so much money being splashed around. So, Tokov, would you say that the Dinamo fans would feel the same? I think... I think you you can you can split the fans up because there will always be the fans who who want to um to who want to watch good football and want to win title and see Dinamo who is one of the biggest clubs in Russia be at the top, but of course when you bring in these young guys you get a more uh, you get more connected to the to the community and to the fans and they see some of their own players on the team and so yeah and. If if we if we st- if they stay patient and we look a bit uh, in the future, we can see a team where these young guys that have gotten the chance this year or, or some someone who get the chance next year actually become the next Kokorin or Tagoev or, or whoever, and that that is a good thing because they get these interesting players through the ranks and they get the playing time they need. We have talked a lot about how the Russian players aren't getting the chance on the first teams, but now at Dynamo we actually see it happen and that is. That's a great thing, not only for Dynamo, but also for, for Russian football in the future and maybe even for the World Cup hopes. Um, what would your take on that be, Andrew? Should the Dynamo fans be not so much happy, but maybe they should see the other side of the story that is that the youth players and the more connection to the community? Yeah, I, I agree completely. I really do. Um, I, was, uh, I was listening to a podcast about the problems in the MLS in America, and they were talking about similar things, um, saying that there isn't a connection between the fans and the players. And I think this is one perfect way to do it. I really do. Um, at the be- after the fire sale of the foreigners, um, when there was a there was a run of games in late August, September, I think it was, when Thomas Huberchan was the only foreigner on the pitch, and it started to have. I had a slightly uneasy feeling about this. I thought. They will say it's for financial reasons, but this is starting to look like a, a nationality thing. But, you know, since the winter break, they've brought in Dragoon, Becherai, 
Holman. Um, they brought in some foreigners, and they are not huge names, which I think is a good thing. The youngsters are already settled in the side now, um, and if the fans can't get behind that, then then there are deeper problems. Um, but I think it's the best way to go about it. And I think in all areas, long term, they will be in a better position in the league. Um, fans should form at least a strong connection. Um, and after this season as well, when Tesco moved to their new stadium, um, perhaps that might have a small influence. They'll feel more like they are the only ones in the stadium. Um, so, yeah, I, <laughs> think, I think it's They'll move to a new stadium soon as well, Dynamo. When when is their stadium ready? Do you know, Toka? When is it due? I'm not. I'm not sure about the. In, in, I don't think even part. they know. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, when when they do, if and when they do, uh, I think it's another step in the right direction. Um, so, in terms of your question about the youth, Thomas, um, is that the right idea, the right approach? I 100% think it is. Um, so, it, it'll be exciting times for Dynamo, I think. Probably looking at next season, though, aren't we, Toka, for all this to bear fruit or, or where we can really judge it, I suppose? Yeah, I think I think when we talk about the right approach with with this strategy, I don't see Dynamo getting back to the top of, of Russian football for a long time because with the even though these young players are exciting, it will take very long before Dynamo assemble a team that can compete with the best clubs. But we should see some... They should have take some steps forward, and I think next season will be really interesting because we can see they have all these players who individually looks quite interesting, but they're simply not a team yet. They we have to remember that before this season, Dynamo had a, a starting lineup with some very big names who had played together for for some time, and that was yeah that that was the team they had. But now we have an entirely different team and. These players have only played together for a season, so of course it takes time for the for the team to develop and to learn the the ins and out of of the tactics and each other and everything. But yeah, I think next season will be really interesting because I expect to take to see some of these youngsters take another step up, and but also to see some of the experienced guys that Dynamo have in the squad. They need to take even more responsibility and become the leaders of this team, which I felt that. They have lacked a bit this season. We have seen Pogrebniak just being awful, even though he's one of the best-paid players in the club and a guy who has played in the Premier League and the Bundesliga. He should be a leader on the team, but that has simply not been the case. He has scored one goal, I believe, this entire season, and that's that's simply not good enough. Well, what's interesting with Pogrebniak is actually Reading, who signed one, actually really wanted to keep him, but he's... Um... His wages there for a championship club, a mid-table championship club, were just absolutely astronomical. They couldn't keep hold of him. But they did actually really want to keep hold of him. But, Andrew, we've seen the deal with George Mendes. What could you tell the listeners about that? Well, as far as I understand, it's nothing, um, nothing formal has been officially signed it was some it's more along the lines of a pre-contract agreement that um of uh, cooperation and he was behind um bringing in a huge number of stars um such as tiago silva for example um about i say six seven years ago um and it's well long story short it didn't work um so uh, as far as i understand the deal involved will involve if it if it goes through, um, if it holds up, 
is that he will use his extensive contacts. I mean, he must be, I would say, the, the best connected agent in the world now um, uh, to bring in a few bigger name stars. Um, I, I don't I don't think it's in the best interest of the club, if I'm being honest, um, because like we've just been discussing, you know, there are the, the positive sides of the financial fair play punishments. Youngsters are just starting to come through in a couple of seasons they'll start to gain more experience but if George Mendes comes in and and brings in a whole load of outsiders um, on expensive wages no doubt being an agency is um, I don't see how that's going to help I think it's just going to put them straight back where they were before so I mean it sounds exciting but I don't think it's in the best interest of the club yeah, just for the listeners who didn't know, George Mendes, like Andrew said, a very well-connected agent, had previous deals with Russia. Um, Toker, is this a really sad indictment on Dinamo and Russian football, and perhaps football in general, where they're appointing an agent who is essentially a businessman rather than a football man to be what sounds like a, an unofficial director of football? Yeah, I think, of course, as Andrew said, we don't know the exact, things in this agreement yet so it's of course difficult to, to say anything with certainty but I think it's a shame now we, we, we finally have a team who, who gets to bring some youngsters through and then who actually seem to think long term for for a while and then they make a deal with, with this um, with, with Mendes and yeah if, if it um, turns into a final agreement I guess we'll see a lot of South American Portuguese players moving to, to Dynamo and that would again be this short term look for success I, I, I tried to uh, an attempt to get the easy way back to the top by I don't know if they'll come on loan or how they'll it'll, it'll be but yeah I think it's I think it's disappointing and I don't think it will, it will turn out in, well in the end we'll probably see Dynamo get a bunch of players who are who are overpaid and maybe maybe don't even have the level needed for for success in, in Russia. I remember the last time Dynamo dealt with Mendes, they signed Thiago Silva, as Andrew said, and because they trusted Mendes so much, he didn't even go through a, a medical check. So it took them a couple of months to find out he had tuberculosis and he almost died and never played a first-team game for, for Dynamo during the, the one year he was in Russia. So I think that is really the worst-case scenario that something something like that will happen again. Yeah, Andrew, seems, I mean, like Toka mentioned there, with that complete trust they had last time, it seems a very strange decision to appoint him again. And also, I was going to add, Toka talks about the short term, and you did as well, but can you blame the directors of the club? I know it's not a nice situation, but can you blame them? Because it's a bit of a cliche that fans are there forever and everybody else is sort of their short term, and they want their short term legacy sorted. Can, can you blame them for doing this deal? Well, I, I'm not su- I'm not surprised for them doing the deal. Um, I I would blame them in a way um, simply because they ought to have the slightly longer term interests of the club uh, in mind. Although I, I understand why they've done it. Um, I mean, there are owners all over the world who think that throwing a big name signing will appease the fans, and for you know, for in the short term it might do, but in the long term. And I'd say Russian fans in particular are especially distrustful of expensively paid foreign stars who don't pull their weight. So um, <clears throat> I think they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot by doing this, if I'm being honest. It's, it's, it's 
putting a plaster over a wound it's not it's not the answer to the problem um so i i'm not surprised they've done it but i i do apportion some blame to them um i think and and for them themselves they're going to find out soon that it's not the best decision yeah Toke, would you say that george mendez will be perhaps even have influence on the management stuff not just on recruitment because I'm thinking if he signs the big players, he's going to insist they play, aren't it? Isn't he? Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if Dinamo are, are likely to, to get a new head coach soon, I think. I don't think Kovalev have really impre- impressed this season. <clears throat> so, But what's he got to impress with? Do you see what I mean? What tools has he yeah, got? Yeah, that, 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 that's true. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if Dinamo go out to and look for a new head coach soon. And probably we'll, we could see a Mendes client there as well. He'll... If he can get a lot of players to them, why not also get a coach who can manage them right? And I think that would just that would make things even worse. Is and it, 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 it's funny for me that it's and that of all the clubs in Russia, it's Dynamo who makes this deal because first we saw it after Anchi um, sold all the players, we saw Dynamo buying Kokorin and Cherkov and Samber and, and so on. And that season they finished fourth. Then following that season they bought Valbuena and kept spending on big players. And they finished fourth again, never being close to the title at all. And now it seems that they're trying once again to buy players from the outside and in the hope of getting success. And I think that if, if the past two seasons should have taught them anything, it should be that you can't just buy big play, big names and expect the, it to return into, um, into victories immediately. But apparently, it didn't teach them the same thing, I guess. Yeah, Lev Yashin would be turning his grave, I think. Mm, yeah, probably. <laughs> but am I, am I right in thinking that um, George Mendez has Mourinho in his books? Mourinho, yeah, he has. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned the manager. You heard it here first. Get yourself down to the bookies. <laughs> Get a few good odds that on that. That would be quite a... That'd be a, quite a cocktail for disaster, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never. I, I actually, I actually thought a bit about maybe Mourinho going to Senate. Yeah, I, I, I admit I did as well. Yeah, if if the United deal doesn't happen, I mean, there aren't a little, uh, there are not a lot of empty top seats at the moment, so why not? Senate seems to be ready to, to spend a lot of money, given the rumors about Ancelotti and everything in January. Yeah, I mean, we are going to move on to Zenit pretty much now, but uh, so it's quite a good connector. But just for fans, I will say that um, I think Manuel Pellegrini is definitely their first choice, and there are some serious negotiations going on there. So we'll see how that goes out. So, like I said, we're going to move on to Zenit and generally the European failure of Russian clubs that we said we talk about. So, just to run it off, really, Zenit lost in the Champions League to Benfica this season, Krasnodar to Sparta Prague, and Lokomotiv Moscow to Fenerbahce, both, well, all three in the early knockout rounds. And Rubin, Kazan, and Siskar didn't even make it out of their respective groups in their tournaments. So, what's wrong with this, Andrew? What What's happened? Well, I, I have my own... Um, idea about what's gone wrong and it's very simple really it's the the organization of the league system into uh, a calendar that follows the rest of western europe i just think it's i think it's madness um the main reasons that were were touted at the time what four or five years ago when they switched from the more logical um, march to 
um, December. Why would you say that's more logical, to... just out of interest? Well, I mean, just just simply because the the, the, the weather. I mean, it's, it's madness to have a three, four month winter break in the middle of a season um, when for years it's been um, running from spring to autumn as opposed from autumn to spring, summer. Um, I mean, I, I, the main reason I read at the time was that it was to help uh, Russian clubs in Europe. Well, the, the the opposites happened. Well, not the opposites happened, but the opposite performance has has happened. So, in the group stage, five wins out of five, first half of the season, absolutely coasting. And I don't even count the loss to Genk because that was a dead rubber, effectively. So, the group stage, you know, they they in the beginning of the season, and they're they're playing well, and then they come to the Benfica game, and they just didn't have the whether it was the fitness, the concentration, the the match practice, um, and then they crash out. I, I don't think there's much of a coincidence there. Um, so in my opinion, that's the first major reason why um, maybe this season in particular, Russian clubs have failed. Where would you come from this, Toko? I, I don't think the winter break is the entire problem because we see Ukrainian clubs who also have a winter break perform very well in Europe and Sparta Prague who, who beat the Krasnodar also had a winter break even though the season started uh, a few weeks earlier so I was going to say the winter that... break's not as long in those places though is it no um, but I don't think that's a, the entire reason I, I watched a lot of the, the Atlantic Cup at training tournament in, the, in Portugal in February where both uh, Senate and Lokomotiv played and when I watched those games and, and Brunby played as well so that's three teams I follow closely but when I watched those games I was annoyed by how the, the coaches and the players approached them because it was clearly just a, a friendly game and it, they experimented a lot a lot of youngsters played and it wasn't it wasn't the kind of game I would expect for a club like Senate or Locomotive who had important European fixtures coming up just a few weeks later so I'd like to see them somehow play in some more competitive winter tournaments. Maybe again, first of all, against some better opponents, but also with a different mindset where the players actually know that this is not just a friendly. This is we're not on vacation in Portugal or Qatar, where we just relax and drink, um, drink drinks and play against weak sides. We actually we need to win these games because the only way to get in 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 a in shape for the important matches is to play some some matches that actually matters and it just seemed that that the players don't care about these matches and i think that's very problematic so i'd like to see them play at some training tournaments they should of course play play where it's warm but against good teams like sparta prague and and some of the top teams from ukraine or the other top team from leagues who are on winter break and that's just not happening you could see Senate playing against some teams from Qatar who who could literally nothing and that's that's just a waste of time in my opinion. I think they had eyes on the rubles. Yeah, that's that's probably the problem. <laughs> but Andrew, I think did you just ink take in breath? I was gonna ask you a question anyway, but if you had a point to make, go ahead. Um no, I, I was I was gonna second what, what Toka said. Um I think uh, there was one one of us, it may have been you, Thomas, who made the point um, a few weeks or months ago um, about um, about making the winter break more useful by having 
a some sort of a perhaps even an, an indoor tournament. There were two or three good indoor venues um, over the winter break between the let me say the top top eight teams in the in the Russian league and use the like the winner of this could could either gain entry to Europe or um, the points could count towards something as a as a tiebreaker of a level on points. Um, in other words, add some direct relevance to pre-season I mean, winter break um, uh, friendlies. Um, make them not friendlies, just like Toka said. Um, three, four months without meaningful football is a is a waste of time um, in the middle of a season for me. So. Do you remember when, when Russia and Ukraine played the joint Super Cup tournament in Israel with the top two sides from from each country? Yeah, yeah I, I remember I that. I think that was yeah. two years ago. Of, of course, you couldn't do that now because the whole political um, situation between the countries. But I think it's, it's things like that we need. We need tournaments and, and games where there's actually something on stake. And that's, I think that was a, a good example of, of a tournament that actually that the teams could care about and the fans could care about. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, I was going to come, the question I was going to originally ask you is, Toka mentioned Ukraine there. We had Dnipro in last year's finals, got Shakhtar in the semis this year. I think, Toka, you mentioned that Dynamo Kiev were in the semis last year of the Europa League. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, but I, I'm not, uh, I don't have the best memory. Well, of, either way, they got out of their group the this year as well. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, they got out of their group this year as well. So why is it, Andrew, that Ukraine seems to have a much better European record than Russia? Do you think it's entirely down to that winter break again? Because like I said, they they do have the winter break in Ukraine as well. Well, it's it's, it's quite a hard one, I'll be honest. Um, I look at the... I look at the squad lists of, of some of the Ukrainian teams. You watch them in Europe, and Shakhtar in particular have a huge, huge number of, of Latin Americans, um, and Brazilians in particular. Um, so, I mean, they have they have good players, is one, but you can't just use that as the reason why they do better than Russian clubs, because you look at Zanit's squad and Tsiaskas' squad, and... and in Krasnodar's squad, and you think, well, they've got good players too. The players are really not the problem. Um, whether there's something in the mentality, the the preparation of of the of the coaches, how they how much how importantly they view European competition, I'm not a hundred percent sure why. Um, but uh, it's it it confuses me. I have to be honest. Um, I'm I'm not sure why. But I think it's good for the it's good for Eastern European football that um, Dynamo Kiev, Shakhtar, Donetsk are doing better. Um, and Dnipro, of course, um, it should spur Russian clubs on and say, "Well, if Ukrainian clubs can do this, why can we not um, take it more seriously?" Perhaps. Yeah, Toko. Andrew mentioned the players there. So look at Shakhtar, for example. They used to have Fernandinho, Alex Teixeira, and then we've also got uh, we had Konopyanka at Dnipro, and then we've got Yarmolenko at Dynamo Kiev. Is it just a, a player quality issue? No, I don't think so. I mean, the players you just mentioned are obviously all great players, and we've seen Shakhtar Donis sell one Brazilian after another to the European top clubs, but it, the Russian clubs have great players as well. We can just look at Senna's squad and easily find a couple of players who could play in the in the big leagues, and the same could happen with um, CSKA or... And then a few from Krasnodar and Lokomotiv and Rubin as well. So I don't think it, it just comes down to the players, but... 
of course, the, maybe the problem is that the that the Shakhtar know that they can sell the players, and I don't know if it's a motivational problem where the Russian players they know they'll just keep playing in Russia and and earning the money, or and which means they they aren't going to to play as well as they could in in Europe because they they don't really have the incentive of moving abroad. But it, it's a difficult question, really. I'm not I'm not sure how it's how how it can be solved, and if if I knew how it could be solved. I probably wouldn't sit here. So. Oh, that's rude. <laughs> I thought you'd stay with us anyway. Andrew, Toka mentions the foreign players there, and he mentions yeah. the complacency. Is that a real issue? Is that? I mean, we should get AVB on this. He'd have an absolute field day. So, so would you sort of go with that? The foreign player yeah. was perhaps a real downfall. Well, I, th- I think um, I think it's a general problem in Russian football. We've all um, we've all realised, um, and I think possibly it is one of the reasons. Um, because I mean, you look at uh, you look at CSKA's uh, Champions League group, um, and yeah, sure, on paper it was a fairly difficult group. Um, well, I mean, this season Manchester United are well below what they should be, but they're still Manchester United. They have some great players, PSV, Wolfsburg. Um, but the, I mean, we were saying before we before we came on air that you know that's the sort of group that it is tough on paper. But if they if they have any ambitions to further themselves, um, or should we say get back to where they were? You know, don't forget only ten years ago they were UEFA Cup winners. Um, that's the sort of teams they have to be beating. So I don't think the I don't think the quality can be the problem. I don't think that can be questioned. I think I think motivation. Possibly is. Um, well, I don't want to say motivation, but you know, burning desire. The, I mean, watching Dnipro last season, um, I didn't know many of their players. I'll be perfectly honest, other than Konoplanka and um, Selesnev, I discovered for my own awareness last season. But they fought, they battled, they really, you know, they were a tough, tough team. They they put the um, they put the effort in. Um, so possibly the motivation is the issue. Yeah, Toka, do you th- I mean, Andrew mentioned the 2005 win there. I'm also going to throw in the 2008 Zenit win for the UEFA Cup. Do you think there was a complacency from Russian football in general, thinking, right, we've won this competition, now it's sort of our right to be at the top of the Champions League? Maybe not at the top of the Champions League, but you could see with Zenit when the board Hulk and Witzel, that was, of course, not to play in the in the UEFA Cup or the Europa League. It was it was to k- compete in the Champions League, and yeah, I think it has been problematic that they think themselves better than they really are. They just assume we we seen it. We have to, we we belong here, and therefore we don't have to work as hard. Because as Andrew said, you can just it's really easy to see when you watch a team like Dynamo Kiev or Shakhtar or Dnipro that. They they really fight for where they belong, and then we watch Senate or Lokomotiv, and it's it's like, oh, they actually rather be in Portugal right now instead of playing that that home home fixture in the, in Europe in in March, and it is it's really annoying to watch, and it is a, a big problem, and I would like to add, uh, however, that it's not just this season Russia have failed; it has been in the many many consecutive seasons now and so it's not just one season where you can say this was disappointing it is a a general trend which is more problematic yeah another thing i've thought of here 
is Andrew mentioned that it's great for Eastern European football that um, that particularly the Ukrainian clubs are doing well. Now, people tend to think of Eastern Europe as one big block, but you look at Kiev, it's right in the west of Ukraine. I'm thinking travel time, for example. The travel time distance, say Dinamo had a, a fixture in, at Benfica, for example. The travel time is so much shorter than going from St. Petersburg or Moscow. Do you think that's a real issue for them? I know they've got to do the same the other way, but I'm talking about every game the Russian clubs have to travel for the for this, whereas the Ukrainian clubs, if they're going to Germany, it's not that far, whereas for the Russian clubs it is. No, yeah, I, I mean, no, oh, sorry, sorry, okay. I, I don't think the travel time is, is that problematic for European fixtures. I think the bigger problem is the travel time for the league games because the Russian teams have to travel thousands of kilometers every single week, and I think I think that takes its toll on the players. I don't think that one trip to Wolfsburg it has hurt CSK that much, but I could see the many trips to Krasnodar or Yekaterinburg or a week in and out. I think that's that's what hurting the players. Andrew? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'd say that's probably true. Um, I mean, it's, it's such a bizarre league geographically and the only the only thing you can be thankful for is that there isn't a team even further east than Yekaterinburg. Um I mean when um Sibir were in the Premier League um or even Luch Luchenegir Vladivostok were in the Premier League less than ten years ago. Um I mean that I mean that really would have been a killer. Um so yeah I mean that the journey time is it is a part of the issue. Um but on the other hand you know the Russian league is slightly smaller than most other top European leagues. There, you know, there's only 30 uh, league games, I suppose, to 38 in Premier League or 36, I think it is, in the Bundesliga. Um, and the Russian Cup only has four four rounds before the final for top-flight clubs. So, you know, they, there is longer distance time, but there's, there's there are fewer domestic games um, to contend with. So. I wouldn't say it completely balances itself out, but again, it's it's a small part of the problem. It is part of the problem, but it's only a small part. Um, I think motivation, the mental side of it, is is the biggest for me. Yeah, Andrew mentions the Russian Cup there, just to tell the listeners that the Russian Cup will be contested between Zenit and CSK at the Kazan Arena for the final. I was going to say, this would be a question for both of you, we talked about the complacency, particularly of Zenit and Siska saying it's sort of their right. So say Rostov get in there this year, you're looking at maybe Krasnodar as well. If they got into the Champions League, do you think you'd see more of that fight that we that we see from the Ukrainian sides? And therefore we'd perhaps see a better performance? Well, I mean, if if you if I'm being honest, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure I think we would from Rostov. I just I don't see I don't see um, if Berdeev stays in charge. I think he would just prioritise um, solidifying their position as near the top of the table as possible. I know it sounds a, a horrible thing to say, but it's it's one of those strange things about football. In, I'm not saying this is even specific to the Russian league. Um, in in many leagues, a lot of clubs. Throughout the whole league se- season, they're saying we've got to get into Europe, got to get into Europe. And when they get there, they don't, you know, don't put their heart and soul into it. I mean, I would love to see a fairy tale run of Rostov, you know, taking the game to Dortmund away or or against Chelsea away or whatever it is. Well, it's not going to be Chelsea this year, but Rostov um, Leicester final next year. 
<laughs> of Rostov Leicester final, blimey! Now that would be that would be a fairy tale. I I would love my my heart wants to say yes, they'd go for it gung ho and and they would they would win even more admirers. My head tells me that they probably wouldn't just practicalities of life. They I mean don't forget Rostov have huge financial problems and have had on and off all season. Um, if they do squeeze into the top two. Um, how they will be able, or even if they'll be able to reinforce sufficiently to not embarrass themselves in the Champions League, uh, I'm not sure they'd be able to add a great deal. Um, so, I know it's a bit of a downer, but I'm just being realistic. I, I'm not sure they would put up a huge fight, unfortunately. So we're just about to end, but I want to try and end on a positive note. So, Toka, do you go with my positive view that if Rostov and, and the like got into the Champions League, they really battle for it? Or did you go with Andrew's negative opinion? <laughs> I'd say that if Rostov managed to go to the group stage, they, they couldn't do any worse than CSK. So I think that could be interesting to see. Okay, so I think that pretty much rounds off this Russian football news podcast. We've gone over the hour mark, so... I don't know what happened, though, because we had a bit of a mess up with the times with Andrew's connection going. So, I, once again, I'm just going to thank Andrew and Toka. Just uh, give your Twitter handles, please. Yeah, I'm uh, at Andrew M-I-J Flint. And Toka? And I'm at uh, Toka uh, Thelade, which is spelled T-H-E-I-L-A-D-E, just as it sounds. Okay, perfect. And we are at Russ Football News on Twitter. Look at us on Facebook. Obviously, look at the website. For the Facebook, just search Russian Football News. Website is RussianFootballNews.com. Subscribe to this podcast. You can do it on various ways. You can do it through iTunes and you can do it through SoundCloud. Leave us a nice review as well. Um, and actually, if you have any topics that you want us to discuss on the next one, then do fire them at us because we'd love, love to get your opinions and things. So, anyway, my Twitter as well, by the way, is Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK, if you care. Anyway, so that brings the end of the Russian Football News Podcast. Again, I'd like to thank Andrew and Toka, and we will see you on the next one in a couple of weeks. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч.